Let me pray first. We'll do an introduction, and then we'll read the text together. Our Father, we ask that you'd help us now to believe what's presented to us in this passage, to allow it to confront us and to deeply comfort us. Would you prove again by your Spirit's work in us that this is true and that we have an identity connected to and rooted in the identity of our Savior and our King. And if we're in his kingdom by repentance and faith, we are identified with him. We ask that you'd help that to be made very clear this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, a little bit of a bold introduction here before we read, but I'm going to do it. In our culture, I imagine you would agree with me that how people self-identify trumps everything else in their life. How people self-identify is everything. Dictates all the different intersections that our life might have with another person is we interact with their self-identity, whether we know what it is or not. And in our culture, we are told that we must honor, affirm, whatever the self-identity is of a person we may be interacting with. Certainly we know that there are self-assigned gender pronouns, but there's all sorts of different identifiers, aren't there? There's sexuality, there's race, there's economic status, there's education, all these different self-identifiers that people have be the thing that makes them who and what they are. And so here we go, we get to turn to a text where I get to preach on self-identification. Finally, Jim's going to preach on self-identification in a culture of self-identification. But it's a very needed message, isn't it? So, for example, this is the world we live in right here. Friday a week ago, August 26th, Johnson City Press article, maybe you read it, new LGBTQ-led church coming to Johnson City. A church that's explicitly for a certain group of self-identified persons led by self-identified persons. Article title, New LGBTQ-led Church Coming to Johnson City. The whole thing is about self-identification. Let me read to you some comments from the article. One of the pastors of this coming into Johnson City Church said, many mainstream churches, even the affirming ones, they're still heterosexual or cisgendered in focus. In other words, they have tried to receive our self-identification, but they've not gone far enough. So this new church is going to be for a particular self-identified group of people led by people who hold the same self-identification. Let me quote. The pastor said, really, we wanted to redefine what Christian looks like. We're striving to be welcoming in, to everybody, walk like Jesus walked, be non-judgmental and let God work through people as he see fits, not how man does. End quote. I mean, just, huh. Straightforward, clear, not hidden. We plan to redefine what Christian looks like through a grid of self-identification. In this case, LGBTQ. Redefine. Jesus' kingdom as completely non-judgmental for all forms of self-identification, the ones we know of up to this point, at least. Is this not the opposite of John's message that we looked at last week, where the kingdom came with a warning about judgment? 
that anybody who has a self-identification other than citizen in the kingdom of Jesus, which is at hand, needs to understand the warning of judgment that will come for those who reject the king, no matter what form of self-identification they may cling to. So, heavy introduction. We haven't even read the text, but just track with me for a second. This was in the Johnson City Press. Not a letter to the editor. A letter by a journalist. I mean, an article by a journalist. A publication that found it newsworthy to tell our community about a group of self-identified people who would create a faith community focused on their self-identification and explicitly say our plan is to redefine Christianity. By the way, the article ended with a GoFundMe invitation to help raise the required money for articles of incorporation for this entity, which, by the way, is not that expensive at all. Can you imagine if we try to put a GoFundMe request inside of an article based on some self-identifier that we believe is more important than any other one? Right, so I, I just want to say thank you to the Johnson City Press for the perfectly timed illustration that leads us right into this text. Because we too must talk about self-identification as Christians in the world. What is the self-identification of those who repent from their sin and turn to Jesus as king for his kingdom is at hand? What is our self-identification? And today and then next week when we see Jesus is driven by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted as we are, here's what we're going to see very clearly. Jesus came to identify with our sin and bear our judgment on his cross. And he came with an identity of fulfilling all righteousness for those who identify with him before God the Father and in our soul. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, and it is all about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and what form of self-identification is given to us as God's people. So would you stand with me? And let's read these very, very beautiful, simple, important verses, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Pretty simple outline I printed for you. Just, it's just my feelings. Sorry, there's nothing authoritative about my feelings, but let me track with me on this little experience with this text, right? So we, we look at it first like, wow, this is surprising. And the kids went right there in the children's message. John should have been surprised. A sinful man is approached by the sinless son of God who requests, requests baptism by him, a baptism that's supposed to be only for sinners to be prepared for the kingdom of heaven that is going to have Jesus, the sinless one, as their king. What a surprise. Total surprise. John knew who Jesus was in all his glory, 
We saw that last week. He says in chapter 3, verse 12, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, to untie his sandals. In John's gospel, John declares, here he comes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John knew explicitly who Jesus was, but we do have a total surprise. The sinless one asked to be baptized by the one who's baptizing sinners. It's actually rather simple. Jesus himself tells John, I have to do this. He tells us what he came to do in his kingdom. And it's not just Jesus who speaks here. The heavens open up and God the Father speaks and says exactly who Jesus is and exactly how well pleased he is with his own son. So the text is surprising, but it's actually very simple. Jesus tells what he has to do. and The Father says this is who he is. What an amazing text. The kingdom of heaven is at hand so much so that heaven opens up to declare it. That's what I wanted to ask the kids. Maybe I'll do it in the second service if it's better. Tell me later. Can you imagine heaven opening up to make an announcement? Wow. The kingdom of heaven has come to earth and it is real in Jesus and it's full of power and full of majesty. Peter tells about this in his letter. His second epistle, chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, you know, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, he says. For when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, Peter calls it. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, Peter says, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, as soon as I read that part of what Peter says, we realize, uh-oh, Jim didn't realize Peter's talking about a different situation when the heavens opened up and a voice thundered from heaven. Because see, what's happening here is by the River Jordan, Peter says, remember when a voice spoke and we were up on the mountain with him? Can you think of what a situation that was? The transfiguration. Luke chapter 9, there was a, another time the apostles experienced heaven open up an announcement come from God. So let me read it to you, Luke 9, 28. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went to the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's so good that we're here. Can we make three tents, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah? Not realizing what he was saying. And as Peter was saying these things, a cloud came, overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Heaven opens up more than once during the public ministry of Jesus for the voice from heaven to herald who his son is. The veil between earth and glory parts. The father says the same thing twice. This is my son, my beloved, my chosen one. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. Heaven has come down to earth. Our text is actually rather 
simple. This is the righteous king. The one the prophets spoke about. Repent, confess your sin, for there is something gloriously different about him than any human you've ever met, for he is God in the flesh. That's simple enough. I mean, a child can't miss that. That's the joy of these children's sermons. Here's the challenge in our culture. A sophisticated liberal theologian will probably miss it and think Jesus is just a good example. Or my self-identification trumps his heaven-declared identification. It's rather simple. We read from Isaiah 45 this morning as a part of our call to worship. It's simple. Heaven's going to rain down righteousness is what is said in Isaiah 45, verse 8. I was sitting over here at a restaurant outside, and man, the, the skies just opened up this week on a few different occasions. The amount of rain, the volume of rain hitting the earth, which I know we're going to hear James Mutetti share later, two years without rain. James, you've been here with some huge rainstorms that we've dealt with. Imagine the way the prophets describe, Lord, what we want you to do is rain down righteousness, come down from heaven. The Father's announcing that's exactly what's happening as Jesus is made known as to who he is. So it's simple, but it's also complicated. Let's be honest with ourselves here. Why did Jesus need to be baptized with John's baptism of all things? His was a baptism of repentance that conveyed the uncleanliness and the dirt. I like how the children use the word dirt, the filth of those who needed to repent of sin and be washed, who with intoxication of self or intoxication with the world have something that needs to be cleansed from outside of us. That's what John's baptism represented. So it's rather complicated that Jesus shows up to be baptized. Why does Jesus need to undergo John's baptism? Which, by the way, is not the same as the baptism Jesus is going to command in Matthew 28. When Jesus commands the baptism, go make disciples, baptizing them, that's a baptism of union with all that the Son has gone through, with all that's been accomplished by him, symbolic. John's is a baptism, forward thinking of repentance. You must be washed. Come, receive this baptism. Well, it's actually rather clear, not that complicated, because Jesus tells John this. Let it be. It is necessary. It is appropriate. I like the word apropos. Often used in places it shouldn't be used. I think it fits here. It was apropos, Jesus says, for me to be baptized by you with this baptism of repentance. It is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. He came to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't just come because he was all righteousness. He came to fulfill all righteousness. And we have to ask the question, for who? See, he's already going to fulfill all righteousness for himself. He's going to keep every jot and tittle of the law. He's going to fulfill the law of God. He's going to show it lived out consistently and righteously. For whom is he going to fulfill all righteousness? Well, for those who repent and believe that he's the king and who are participants in his kingdom who know we need cleansing. Because see, what would Jesus do as the savior? We're forecasting a little bit. We know the story. But what Jesus ultimately does as the savior is he comes and he identifies with us. That's why he came. We could look at a, an abundance of scripture texts, but how about just Philippians 2? 
right? Though he was born in the form of God, he did not, excuse me, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he come? He came to be obedient unto death, death on a cross of judgment, yet he was the righteous one and God the Father is well pleased with him. Why did he have to then suffer the consequence of the cross? And the scriptures say, it's right here. Because he came to identify with us and to fulfill all righteousness for those who would trust in him. That's why it was necessary. That's why it is fitting. That's why this is the perfect, in God's design, the perfect first act in his public ministry to receive John's baptism, which was only supposed to be for those dirtied with sin. He came to be our self-identification. That's, I think, what is, is being taught to us here. He came to be identified with us. He is our self-identification before God. He came so that we would be not identified by sin any longer. And I know some of your stories, you know some of my story. But just track with that for a moment. Do you know? Do you know that you're not self-identified by sin? Last night we got home late because we watched our girls play a soccer game. I'm, I've always been their coach. I'm also their dad. If you've been an athlete and you're a competitor and you're hard on yourself, anybody know that feeling of identifying yourself by your worst mistake? The game's over. You're bawling your eyes out. You're hugging your mom and dad. And you have identified yourself by something you think is lacking in you. And your parents look at you and say, I'm so well pleased with you. Yeah, but you don't understand. That's who I am. That moment. This is what this text is saying, Christian. The father sent his son to be our self-identification. Not your worst sin. Not the thing that, that nags you. If you are in Christ by faith, heaven broke through to make it clear what your self-identification is. He came so you would not be identified by sin. Isn't this 1 Corinthians 6? I mean, listen to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That was your identification. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does justified mean? Declared righteous. What happens in Matthew chapter 3? What does the Father do from heaven? He declares his son righteous. When? When his son has our sin on him because he's going to identify with us in our sin. That's when the father declares him righteous in his sight because he's going to pay the price necessary so that those who are justified have a father in heaven who declares us righteous, declares you and me well-pleasing to him, declares that we are his beloved. Question. Before you even came in today, is your self-identification hidden with Christ in God? Colossians 3, verse 3. Jesus came and heaven opened up 
so that we would repent and turn to him and not be identified by anything else. It's pretty clear, isn't it? I love in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where we have this imputation. That's what this is called, imputation. Clearly described to us. He became sin who knew no sin. That we who know sin would become the righteousness of God. Jesus showed up on the scene, public scene number one, and he said, I must do what's required to identify with those whose sin is going to be mine. And they must be identified before the Father with the righteousness that the Father knows is mine. So let me apply this as we close up. Christian, if you profess that you're a believer in Jesus, so I'm looking to you who have professed faith in Christ. Christian, you need to know who you are because of who he is. You need to know who you are because of who the Father declared him to be and why he said he came to come. He is your substitute. He is your righteousness. He is your self-identification. Do you believe this? And if you believe this, then the, the scriptures tell us very clearly, then keep repenting of any temptation to any other self-identification. And then rest before God. For he is well pleased with you because you bear the self-identification of his own son. Now, there may be somebody in here this morning that's not convinced of the gospel. So if you're not a believer, maybe you want to share this with a person who's not a believer. You will never be satisfied by any other self-identification than the righteousness we were created to have for the glory of God and for our good. That's something you cannot fulfill because of the sin that we have in our lives. This is why the world tells us, tells you, to keep on self-identifying by something else, whatever it is. Don't stop identifying yourself by something that will give you an identity and a meaning. It's a circus show of creative identities. It's a treadmill of work to keep reinventing oneself. It's a dangerous travesty to think that your true self-identity is really meant to be known only to you who have to then keep convincing yourself and others that it's who you really are. The call is to get off the treadmill. Sin means that we settle for the false glory of any self-identity other than being those created for the, by the image of God, for the glory of God, who need to repent and follow the king whom God sent by whom we're declared righteous. And so I think it's an invitation for someone who's just exhausted by other self-identities that takes so much work to keep up and so much demand of the world around us to keep up with us as well, to tell us who we really want to be or who we think we really are. But the gospel message is this. The kingdom of Jesus has broken into the world and our response is to repent of any other identity outside of him being our king and us being declared righteous in the Father's sight by him. Okay, this will not, I don't think, I hope not, well, be published in any news media outlet anytime soon. 
But it has been published in God's word, hasn't it? And generations and generations across cultures and different tribes and tongues have had people who say, I once was this. But now I'm not. It's been published by the Holy Spirit's guidance in God's word. And the prayer this morning is that you would allow it to be published on your heart by faith, that you have been identified before God by the righteousness of his own son. This is the word of God for us today. May we believe it. Let me pray. Father, we rest on the gospel of Jesus today. Would our identification be in him and him alone? We thank you for the power of your word. May I not use cultural examples just because it makes for good preaching. People will listen. No, Lord, we know we live in a world where it is it's toxic, it's exhausting, it's terrifying how much is being told to us that we must let ourselves and others and affirm these alternative self-identifications just ad nauseum. Lord, would we as your children in your kingdom where we've asked for you to bring down righteousness and where heaven opened up and declared who the king is, would we find our identification only in him? And would we rest? Would we believe it with repentance and faith? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your kingdom to earth in full. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and he broke it for his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he also took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. For as often as you eat the bread or drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is not.